Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about one of their heat rocks, straight lava, like they have out in Hawaii right now. Today, we are going to be diving into the Coos Steal This album, which, oh, crazy, celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. This girl Cheryl got parole violation. Said she was hot because of people dilation. If you've never been to jail now since affinity, you get searched living in this vicinity. Or harass people. I mean, living daylight. Wouldn't be no dope slanging if McDowell's pay right. When the coup first debuted in 1993, the only thing hitting as hard as their radical socialist politics was the sheer funkiness of their music. By 98, the pair of Boots Riley and DJ Pam the Functress had been through the ups and downs of record label drama, had seen hip-hop's political moment shift towards the era of Jiggy and Bling, and the Bay Area rap scene was being displaced by a resurgent New York and the rising South. None of this mattered, though. The coup have never walked any artistic path but their own. Boots, in all his polemical wisdom, backed by the razor cuts of Pam, assembled an absolute masterpiece of an album. 14 tracks of wit, intellect, imagination, and conviction, all rooted in that Oaktown funk. To talk about still this album, we invited Maximum Fund's own podfather, Jesse Thorne. According to his Twitter, Jesse Thorne keeps the following on deck. Satin, Velvet and a pound for the cause. If this is what's required to build a wildly successful podcast summer camp conglomerate, it's no wonder I've come up a bit short. I don't have any of that. But it's cool. I spend my Saturdays hosting one of the 30 or so podcasts on Maximum Fun, Jesse's creation, a force to be reckoned with in today's slick world of talk soup. In addition to holding space for hot topics on his own show, NPR's Bullseye, Jesse Thorne also exists to make sure men's fits are on point. That's garments for our non-black listeners. His blog, Put This On, asks you to be insightful about your fashions, conscientious about your choices, to be clean but also be clear about what you're rocking. He's a comedian and a father, a West Coaster, a rap devotee, a writer, a radio DJ, and his beard is legit. He's also the executive producer of this show, Heat Rocks, a podcast about musical discovery, the show that I co-host with Oliver Wang, which, since our launch in October, has prospered. Everything's coming up roses. I'm guessing that's because every rose has its thorn. Shout out to Poison. Jesse Thorne, this is way overdue. Welcome to Heat Rocks. I'm so grateful to have been invited. Thank you for having me on the show. Let's start with this. Yeah. Steal this album, The Coup. What makes this a heat rock for you? I think that Boots Riley is one of, if not the most underrated MCs in the history of hip hop. Agreed. I am from the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm from San Francisco. Mm. Um, and there is no musical artist that makes me prouder to be from the Bay, not even Sly Stone. What? Um wow. And this record is also, for me, personally, just a really important part of my own personal musical and life development. You know, this is a record that came out when I was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. So when I first heard it, 
I was I was the very definition of an impressionable teen, right? And this was the first time that hip hop music had moved me emotionally to more than just a, a feeling of fun. I mean, I was a hip hop fan, but yeah. it, it was the first time that I had heard hip hop that made me cry, um, made me think in this way. Um, and it still is, to my mind, um, you know, the, the highlights from this album are still, I think, um, among the best hip hop ever recorded. Mm. High praise. I know. And I mean that very sincerely. Oh, and I, I, I say it advisedly. Yeah. How'd you come to get this album? Did you purchase it yourself? Did someone play it for you? I purchased it myself after someone played it for me. When this record came out, I was 16. Um, I was in high school at School of the Arts in San Francisco, which mm. was a uh, public magnet school. Home to Rap and Forte, as you were telling us just a moment ago. Yes, absolutely. Rap and Forte, Aisha Tyler, Aya Cash. Um, uh, Legends. Lady, lady, who just, lady who just won a Tony for uh, Hedvig and the Angry Inch. But I was super bored in school. In all the academic parts of school, because the academic parts of my arts high school were not rigorous, <laughs> to say the very least. And so I was taking classes at San Francisco State. And um, so I took this class called History of Funk from Ricky Vincent, who's been yes. mentioned on this program before. Yes. The Uhuru Maggot, as he is known. And it was a great class. Ricky is a very inspiring professor. Right. Just the most passionate enthusiast right. and of funk ever. And wrote one of the definitive books about funk called Funk. Yeah. Yeah. The the rhythm, the people, and the music of the one or something like that. There we that. go. Very nice. Uh, and, you know, but Ricky is just like this ball of enthusiasm for funky music in general. And, you know, obviously that partly means like, oh, yeah, like every, tr knowing every lick on every track of Eddie Hazel's solo album sure you know like every parliament funkadelic thing but partly that extends to hip-hop as well you know he's not like uh he's not as deep in hip-hop as he is in 70s funk but right. but he loves a funky hip-hop track and, and one day in class he said you guys have to hear this song and he played me and jesus the pimp the second track from this record mm. to the class and i have to say like i literally cried in class and i thought i gotta get on this my teeth to go brush and get ready for bed and the toilet to flush. With tears in mama's eyes, I was her everything. Before she went out on a stroll, she tucked me into bed and sing. So I'm wondering, in this particular era, especially in the Bay, I mean, you got the coup are certainly fixtures to some degree and absolutely representing Oakland and the East Bay. You have the indie. This is kind of the, I mean, five years after hieroglyphics have blown up and Dell and all those guys. It's sort of in the high point of the indie hip hop movement, which is very much centered in the Bay and as well as other cities, but certainly in the Bay. So I'm just wondering for you, what, were, what else were you listening to and how were you making sense of where the coup fit into this greater constellation of whatever it is that you were bumping back then. I I listened to my parents' music a lot. Mm. And, you know, my parents were divorced, and they're each uh, a little older than 70 now. And 
they both like they disagreed on everything in the world. They hated each other, hate each other probably still. But the one thing they agreed on pretty much was music. Like it was like the things that were in the center of their Venn diagram were me. They both loved me very much. That's good. James Brown. Okay. Mm. Um, Ray Charles. That's pretty much it. Holy Trinity. Right? Jesse, Ray, <laughs> and James. There we go. But like my mom was, my mom particularly is a really serious music fan, although she didn't have records around the house. Mm. So she had lost something like 10,000 records in a flood in the mid-70s before she moved oh, to the Bay Area yeah. and had vowed never to buy another record again. Oh, that's rough. So in a way, like, I grew up with her stories about music as much as I grew up with her actual music. So it was like, oh, this time when I was at RFK to see The Mothership or, like, this time when I made clothes for Miles Davis or this time when I was at a party with Gil Scott Heron or all these things. And so that was just kind of, like, baked into my life. So I spent... You know, I think I discovered P-Funk in the early 90s mm. along with the kind of P-Funk revival of that time. Right. Digital Underground, speaking of exactly. artists playing a huge role in that, sir. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I was and I was listening to, I think, the, the first hip-hop record that really, that was, like, momentous to me was the second Diggable Planets album, Blowout Comb. That mm. was a record that, went, that came out when I was 13. Mm. And I mean, I've Ish, Ish has been a guest on this show, yeah. um, and I got to meet him when he was a guest on my show, Bullseye. After the interview, I told him, I just said, you know, when I was 13, I listened to Block, I would put it on repeat and listen to it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And I think that I love the aesthetics of G-Funk, but, you know, I kind of came up in a tough neighborhood where my identity was based around being a square, mm. right? So, like, in order to not be noticed, the choices were either fit in or completely don't fit in. <laughs> So for me, the choice was there was no way that like I was already six feet tall and uh, probably 145 pounds. Right. I'm very white and somewhat effeminate and was just like, there's no way that I'm ever going to be down. Right. So it was like, let me find a different lane. So I, I never even I never got comfortable with things other than the aesthetics of G-Funk mm -hmm. until I was probably 20. Yeah. So what was amazing and moving to me about the coup was it was music that I love the aesthetics of that I didn't have to compromise my feelings about how the world worked to enjoy. Um, and, you know, like if you're a hip hop fan and you have half a heart, you know, you get used to the idea of triangulating and recalculating. I was having a conversation with uh, Mike Eagle about this, our Max Fun colleague. Yeah. Like you you get used to the idea that like you know, at the time like you you're like, "Oh, I'm I'm going to hear F word for gays sometimes." And you you just kind of build a wall between you and that, right? Mm -hmm. And what was amazing to me about the coup was that it wasn't corny, it wasn't preachy, it wasn't all these things that quote-unquote conscious hip-hop could be at its worst, mm -hmm. right? But it was funky, it was real, and 
it was really about something in like a consistent and not just a consistent way, but also a compassionate way, like a yes, caring way. Absolutely. Like what's special to me about Boots as an MC is that if you compare him to even truly great, you know, political rappers or quote unquote conscious rappers, Chuck D or something like that, like Boots is all, always approaches music at a human level. Mm-hmm. It's always about people and their real feelings. I don't know. It reminds me of kind of Devin the Dude or maybe Scarface. Mm, mm. Um, Tupac if Tupac wasn't corny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Tupac fans. I just thought I'd throw that in there and see see what happened if I said that. When I was going back and listening to this album for this episode, I had forgotten that this this came out in 98. Yeah. Because in a lot of ways, the Coos albums, because their sound was so much of them, I don't want to say it transcends time, but I don't really think of it as, oh, that was definitely the album they made in 92 as opposed to 96 as opposed to whenever. Because 98 was a, it was an interesting year in hip hop and trying to fit this into it. I don't know if it does fit. I know, Morgan, you are our resident temporal uh, context giver here. <laughs> sure. Like, where do you see this album fitting within the kind of the wider soundscape of 98? You know, it doesn't. It's in a class by itself. 98 was a crazy year in hip hop. You've got like, Cannabis, there's a name from the past. <laughs> you've got Miseducation, you've got Jay-Z Hard Knock Life Volume 2, you've got It's Dark and Hell is Hot, yeah. you've got The Love Movement and Tribe Called Quest, right. and then you've got this album. Yeah. There's no through line to any of those things. One of these things is not like the other. No, I don't think any of those things are like the other. Exactly. Yeah. They just It just doesn't fit. And yeah. I had sort of stepped away. So this album flew completely under the radar. For me... Oakland, I had stepped away from Bay Area stuff. I sort of was in and out. I was in with uh, 93 Till Infinity, and then I came out. I came back in with the Loonies. That's ridiculous. It was just I got five on it, but they had me at that song. But that's like the greatest song ever recorded. Exactly. (laughs) So I was in. Bay Ball is remix specific. Yes. Absolutely. Got to get Drew down in there. Yes. Then I came back in with E-40, then I was out. Then I couldn't really wrap my head around Too Short because of some of the things you were mentioning. I had to put like a hell of a wall between me and right, Too Short. Yeah. But then I came back for Blow the Whistle, so I'm conflicted. Okay? <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing about the Bay, though, that I think is so important about the, the hip-hop culture specifically of the Bay Area, which I know you, you were part of for a long time, Oliver. Yeah. But also the broader culture of the Bay. And my friend Andrew Nosnitsky, who used to do the great blog Cocaine Blunts and now owns a record store in Oakland. Park Boulevard Records. Shout out to Nas. Um, Nas once told me the first time he lived in the Bay Area, he then left for a little while. First time he lived in the Bay Area, he's like, man, I can't deal with this. Everybody's got a goddamn T-shirt company. And he's like, you go to a party, everybody wants to pitch you their T-shirt Shit, company. man, that is so real. Yeah, yeah. And... What that is, is there is a kind of, first of all, the market is rich enough that you can eat off the bay. You don't have to break nationally. And in fact, no one from the bay, essentially, except for G-Eazy, I guess, has broken nationally in 25 years, <laughs> basically, yeah. like for real. Like there was a moment mm. where, it, where it looked like Haifi was going to break nationally. It right. didn't really. Right. And certainly E-40 has maintained his territory in a remarkable way. Yeah. But in general, you right. know, there's been no Hammer type stars since Hammer, pretty much. 
But what's amazing about it is that this community will allow Boots, you know, Boots was on an E40 single. Boots is in an E40 video. Yeah. These communities were, are deeply interlaced. Like the aesthetics of Hyro, for example, are hugely different from the coup. But we see them as of a piece because they both organically come from this community mm-hmm. and they are so deeply interlaced. Right. And so I want to come back to what you were saying before about what makes Boots distinctive, if not unique as a, as a rapper who talks about politics. And of course, there's a lot of rappers who talk about politics. And what I was struck by with Boots across his career, but in particular on Still This Album, is the humanity portion that, Jesse, you were mentioning. And that there's other artists who talk about what it's like to be down and out, but usually it's in the context of this is how I rise above it because I get my hustle on and I'm doing all these things so that I'm not broke. And with still this album, Boots and The Coup are really making you sit, no, 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 we're going to talk about what it's just like to be at the bottom. You know, you have a song that has, it's half humorous, but half super real, which is the Repo Man, Repo Man Sings for You, <laughs> which is a song about getting your shit repossessed from the perspective of the Repo Man, right. who is this, like, you know, this predatory figure, he's working for the man, he's there to kind of you know, basically take stuff that you can't afford. It's the Repo Man. Possession is my occupation. It's not my fault you face a foreclosure. I told you, I'm just an agent working for the man. And his manuscripts say you owe him for this land. Don't cry to me and don't lie to me. Acting like you ain't home, faking on the phone. You should have thought about that when you bought the busy. You missed a few increments. Now we gotta come and get your shit. I mean, there's that song, They're Sneaking In, which another balance between humor but realness about what it's like to have to sneak into shit because you can't afford to go to like the club or go to a movie, right? I think that is what is so powerful about Boots is mm-hmm. that, you know, he's funny in the same way somebody like Devin is, right? Mm-hmm. But he is always, he's always, he always has his eyes on the prize, right? It's always about what can we do to make this community stronger? Mm-hmm. What can we do for people who don't have anything? Right. And it's always we unless it's challenging you to come and be right. part of it. And to me, I think this really links a lot in terms of, you know, he's an unabashed black Marxist. And so he's a communist. He says it on this record. Yeah. He says, uh, I'm a communist. What does he say? I'm a communist. You can t- tell your mama this. Yeah, something like that, right? Yeah, something like that. The See, I'm a communist. I tell your mama the truth. And now they want to assassinate me like they John Wilkes Booth. But I'm recognized firm because your brain is the maternity conception through your ear. Now my gang lasts through eternity. Which is incredibly different from the kind of black capitalist mode that so many other rappers embody. And that, and th- to me, this is very much a legacy of growing up in Oakland. It's a legacy of the Panthers. It's a legacy of a lot of things that are very Bay Area centric, which is that it's an understanding of the working class, not as something to escape, but really as something to not up, not to get one person out, but to uplift the entire community. And I think this album, and we, we mentioned a couple of the other songs, but Underdogs is so rooted in exactly what we're talking about with that. And this it's just something that you don't hear enough from other artists who are all about, let me tell you what you can do to get out of your situation. But it's very it's 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 a very different kind of model than I think what the coup and boots in particular bring. And I think a lot of it again, it, it is his grounding as a as a communist, as a Marxist, as a socialist, which is thinking about the working class as a community rather than just as something holding people back. This is for my focus who got bills. 
This is for my fuckers, I'm check one, two. This is for my fuckers, never live like a hog. Me and you, toe to toe, I got love for the underdog. This is for my fuckers who got built. This is for my fuckers, I'm check one, two. This is for my fuckers, never live like a hog. Me and you, toe I'm 37 years old, and I've had this record for 20 years, and I still have a hard time getting through underdogs without crying. I mean, that's a song that opens, I raise this glass for the ones who die meaninglessly mm. and the newborns who get for, fed intravenously. Somebody's mom caught a job in a welfare fraud case. When she breathes, she swear it feels like plastic wrap around her face. Mm. And that image is so, there's no artifice to it. It's very plain. Yeah. You know, this is not super lyrical. Right. Right, which was what was going on at the time in underground hip hop was like cannabis. How, yeah, how <laughs> cannabis can how cannabis can I be? Right, right. Cannabis. Um, but like when you talk about the just very simple things, the kids play with that one toy, they learn how to share. Yeah, right. I mean, big that- spoons of peanut butter, big ass glass of water makes the hunger subside. Save the real food for your dog. There's certain tricks of the trade to try to hold you. Like taking Tupperware to win all you can eat. Returning you shit for news saying you lost your receipt. And writing four-figure checks when your accounts deplete. Then all your problems pile up about a mile up. Thinking about a partner you could dial up to help you out the foul stuff. Whole family sleeping on the food time while you clipping coupons. Eating salad trying to get full off the crouton. Boots was incredibly clever with the lyrics, but his point was not, let me be clever for the sake of cleverness. It's let me sell you this, let me get this message across to you in a way where you're going to listen to me because I'm not, I'm I'm doing it not super didactically. I got flow. Boots has got flow, but I'm going to tell you some real shit along the way with that. I think he has a very, like there are very clear precedents to Boots's style from my perspective. One of them is short, right? Like short, has a, you know, the reason that Too Short as a 55-year-old man or however old Too Short is now can still get on a party record and get the club going is because he has this distinctly Too Short and distinctly Oakland declamatory style, right? And there's a lot of that declamatory quality in Boots' style as well. I mean, I think Boots is a much more nimble rapper than, uh, than Short is, but it still feels like he is... He's declaring something. But it also, you know, in contrast to like Chuck D, it doesn't feel like he's yelling something at you. And I love Chuck D. I don't mean that as a slight right. of Chuck D. But most political rappers, I feel like, are just yelling stuff at sure. me. Sure. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Jesse Thorne about the Coups Steal This Album after a brief word from some of our other fine Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. Beginning this summer, you can listen to new episodes of Inside Pop every other week for an even deeper dive inside the world of pop culture. Now we're still bringing you our brilliant insight, always on the nose opinions, and insidery inside information on the most interesting pop culture stories of the week. And we'll also have interviews with the pop culture professionals who create the culture you crave. For example, we'll speak to casting directors about how they find the right talent for the right role. We'll talk to music supervisors about how they choose the music to create the right mood. And we'll grill producers who'll discuss what exactly a producer does. Oh man, Sean, how many times has someone said to you, oh, you're a producer, so what do you actually do? 
so many times. <laughs> Same here. So make sure to catch Inside Pop every other Wednesday on Maximum Fun to indulge your pop culture obsessions. And to hear in-depth interviews from the movers and the shakers in TV, music, film, and more. Hi, I'm Paula Poundstone. And I'm Adam Felber. Adam, I haven't gotten one thing done today. Well, let me see your to-do list. Ah, yeah, well, here. Make 30-second promo for Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, so at least you're getting that done. Score! Except you haven't said what the show is about. We're like a comedy field guide to life, starring me and you. I give useful advice, and we have real experts to talk about things like how to keep a friend or what to do when you encounter a bear. Bully for you, but you haven't said where people can find the show. Oh, MaximumFun.org or wherever you find your podcasts. We're back on Heat Rocks talking the coups. Steal this album with El Jefe, Jesse Thorne. I had a question for you because you reviewed this album five times. <laughs> now, to my credit, I did not file the same review five different times. I wrote five different reviews, and I must have worn out the thesaurus because I tried never to use the same <laughs> adjectives or the same turns of phrases. That said, that was not a good look on my part. But, like, shout out to Addicted to Noise, Wall of Sound, uh, let's see, the San Francisco Bay Guardian, Amazon, <laughs> and I forget what the fifth was for letting me do it, but I should not have done that. And any any aspiring critic out there, do not write the same review or the same – don't write about the same album for multiple outlets in the same year. I, I mean, why five times? What was this – what was it about the album that moved you? I discovered the coup because of – Barrier magazine, BAM, and they were on the cover of BAM. This would have been around, I don't know, 92, 93. And I was still just soaking up game in terms of like, I just am trying to discover what, what's out there to listen to. And so I figured, well, if they were good enough to make the, the, the cover, like, I should just check it out and loved Kill My Landlord. And for all the reasons that we've been talking about, especially just the kind of the depth of the songwriting. I just thought was so extraordinary. And again, I think a lot of it because I was in grad school and a lot of the kind of ideas around race and class that Boots is talking about really connected with the stuff that I was learning in graduate school. I wanted to be able to bridge those things and and bring them together into the reviews. We generally ask ask our guests this, but I guess since you wrote about it so much and you're well-versed in this thing, is there anything different that jumped out at you listening to it in prep for this with our talk with Jesse that you might have missed the first five times that you wrote about it? I think the humor, which is not like I missed it, but I think that I spent much more time focused on the politics of the album the first time around. And what really stood out to me is just how freaking funny this yeah. album is and how how much levity Boots brings to otherwise really heavy stuff. I don't think there's a better example to me than Cars and Shoes. Oh. Keep your knee right there. I'm trying to keep the glove compartment closed, player. The seatbelt don't work, just tie around your waist. If you crash through the window, just cover your face. The radio, get one station on AM, it's Chinese. But if you listen, you can catch what they're saying. Stop complaining. Cars and Shoes, I think, is one of hip-hop's greatest broke songs. Yes. I think it stands with Devin the Dude's Lackville 79 as hip-hop's greatest hoopty song. Yes. Um, and I think it's one of hip-hop's, like, genuinely... Like, as a professional, I won't say comedian, let's say humorist. <laughs> Go on to claim that, Jesse. <laughs> yeah. Claim that comedy. That's, going that's on a that. comedian that went to college, I guess. Yeah, there you um, go. <laughs> uh, or com- it's a comedian that's slightly boring. Um, but, like, uh, you know, supposedly funny hip-hop is not usually that funny to me. Yeah. 
Um, it's usually I like it, but it sort of peaks at cute. Um, and this is like genuine. This is a genuinely funny record, yes. and it's also about the reality of poverty, right? Like that is what Boots is on about on this record. It's right. like this is what the experience of being broke is, right? This is the reality of not just that like government cheese cliche, but the reality of not knowing what's going to happen next, right? The fear that comes with not knowing what's going to happen yet next, not having any security, right? Like part of this part of this goofy song about hoopties, right? Is about your car breaks down on the bridge and you walk away and you go buy a new one for a hundred dollars at the auction. <laughs> right? Like it's about and part of this song is about my car broke down, now I don't have a job anymore. Right? But it's in the context of, well, I got a car and you don't, so I'm still winning. Right. What is your favorite track on this album, or what? What to you is the fire track? Uh, me and Jesus the Pimp. Yeah, I think hands down. I think Me and Jesus the Pimp. I I would hesitate to say that it is the greatest hip hop track of all time because I think there are innumerable hip hop tracks right. with much more influence sure. than this song. But I think it is maybe literally the best. Um, and you know that's an expression of my personal taste, partly, mm-hmm. but. It is, for people who haven't heard it, told from the perspective of a young man whose father gets out of jail and his father had turned his mother out and been abusive to her, but remained his father. And he essentially takes him on a drive in his 79 Granada. 79 Granada, by the way, being an allusion to the Leninist revolution in Granada in 1979. And it's a song about, it's essentially... On a narrative level, when I heard it when I was 16, it's a story about a young man trying to learn to deal with his father and the legacy his father left him, right? Mm-hmm. And in that way, and it ends, spoiler alert, with him killing his father. And, you know, for a 17-year-old, what could be a more powerful narrative than to have to grapple with the idea of your dad and the bad things that your father has meant in your life and to have to... You know, it's not a triumphant killing of his father. It's a kind of sick, sick to your stomach killing of his father. Um, and he kills his father basically in this, you know, the the central tragedy of it is that, it, you know, he, he spits the game that his father taught to him to his father as he kills him, mm. right? That he is perpetuating a cycle. Mm. But ultimately, in a, in a meta sense what the song is about. And I think this is something that's significant about Boots and significant about the coup is it's about the way that capitalism not only destroys families from a male perspective and so much hip hop is about a male perspective, right? But it's, it's about the way that capitalism destroys the lives of women through manipulating men. Mm. Um, it's it's ultimately a song about women. It's ultimately, from my perspective, a song about his mom. Right. 
a hatchet. Now since my adolescence, cause of his pimp lessons, smack my woman in the dental just for asking silly questions. Relationship reduction, either rock the box or such. Ain't got no close partner socially, I can't function from the penny with scribe. On how to survive, don't be Microsoft, be Macintosh with a hard drive. Used to tell me all the time to keep a bitch broke. Did I mention that my mama was his number one hope? That is something that is very special about the coup, that not only is there a co-equally billed female member of the group, Pam the Funkstress, who we've not talked about at all, but is an essential part of the group, right? Like Boots Boots is unquestionably the artistic driving force of the band, and he would never have it billed as anything other than a band. But Pam is always there next to him, you know, and she is like she's like your older sister, your best friend, your auntie, your she's just a regular ass lady. I would should say, you know, one of the things that Pam brought to this album in particular is when they were sitting down to kind of map out how they wanted it to sound. One of the things that Pam insisted on is because she was actively DJing at parties throughout the Bay is I want us to make a cool album that I can play some of the songs off of here at one of my parties and so it has I think her influence on it was that it was a little bit more up-tempo than perhaps Genocide and Juice this was an album where I think she really wanted to push this idea like let's we can make part I mean the, their fourth album is called Party Music but it was the same idea let's make party music but just from our point of view and I think again rest in peace to Pam but that's that's the, the kind of element that she brought is the DJ sensibility is can't just be about the message like the music's got a bump too and she is a legitimate important pioneering DJ in the Bay Area Oh, no doubt. DJ Absolutely. World. She's True. someone who True. is who who was beloved there for being a mentor to dozens and dozens of younger DJs and being a leader in that community. Right. Even after she, you know, she stepped away from the coup for the most part for the last ten or twelve years. But even even after that, she was an important mentor to people. So besides me and Jesus and the pimp and a pimp yeah. and a seven nine granada, if if you had to introduce someone to the music of the coup based on this album, and you only had one track to do it, not that one. But if you want to get them into the mindset of this band, of Boots, of the personality, and of Oakland, which which track would it be? I think Busterismology would be a great one because that is about that idea of, like, who are you, right? That's what he's challenging us to think about is who are you? You ain't talking about Indian exploitation. Then you just another Sambo with syndication. Always saying words that's gonna bring about elation. Never doing shit that's gonna bring us vindication. And while we getting strangled by the slave wave grippers, you wanna do the same and say we should put you in business? So you'll be next to the ruling class, lying in a ditch. Cause when we start this revolution, all you probably do is snitch. Um, and I have to say, like, I've introduced a lot of people to the coup. You know, when I was a teenager, I introduced it to my parents, you know. I used to bump it on my boombox. I used to carry a boombox. Nice. Um, I got a ticket once listening to The Coup in Santa Cruz when I was, I'm going to say, 20. I was driving my El Camino. I had an El Camino at the time. Shout out to my El Camino, El Jefe. <laughs> Rims or no? No, I, I had, I had, it had I'd like, ask. it had like aluminum rims. It didn't have like oversized rims. Okay. Um, but they were not, they were aftermarket rims. Um, <laughs> Important distinction. Important distinction. But I, I had the, I had the windows down all the way. It was maybe like 1030 at night. I lived in the beach flats in Santa Cruz, which was basically the only working class neighborhood in, in Santa Cruz. 
And uh, yeah, I got like a, a three hundred and fifty dollar stereos too loud ticket. Uh, listening to <laughs> literally listening to Pork and Beef by the Coup, which is a song that's about police officers. Um, that's why you got the ticket. And I was yeah, <laughs> and I was so I was so broke at the time. Like my mom didn't have any money to give me to pay this ticket, so literally, <laughs> she. I got it in like June, you know, and then I went home to San Francisco for the summer, but I contested it. And so I drove to Santa Cruz with my mom in August or whatever to contest this ticket and get it down to, I think we got it down to $60. So that was like two, four hours of driving (laughs) to save that $200. (laughs) But like, yeah, that's the, that's the only time I've ever gotten one of those stereo too loud tickets, (laughs) but Shout out to being able to contest a ticket, though. I've never had that type of luck, yo. Also, shout out to compassionate judges. Yeah, for sure. You're throwing yourself on the mercy of the court. I was like, I did it. I just don't have $400. (laughs) That's what I said. It's like, I do not. You got to help me out here. Charge it to the (laughs) coup. Yeah. (laughs) This album, steal this album in, uh, in three words. If you had to describe it in three words, what would they be? Revolutionary. That's the easy one. Mm. Humane mm. and hilarious. There it is. There it is. That's it. Just imagine the windows down. If you got beef with COPs, throw them all the top at the PIGs. They be harassing you and me. You got to understand that we're still not free. <laughs> Yo, fuck the police. No justice, no peace. That'll be $350. Yeah. <laughs> Police officer was very polite. Shout out to white privilege. There you go. <laughs> well, Shout out to acknowledging white privilege. <laughs> I love it. That's the real reason why they want me up in jail. They want me to fail. I resist and rebel. See, I give a fuck about the COP. PIGs. I want to lock and shake them like a PIT. Because they want to see me DIE. Well, that will do it. For this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, the Maximum Fun Pod Father, Jesse Thorne. Uh, I was going to say, where can people find you? But like, if you're listening to this podcast, like you should already know. But that said, Jesse, you want to you send out your socials here? Yeah, well, I mean, um, obviously I'm the owner of Maximum Fun and executive producer of this show. But yeah. uh, I think the show that I do that is most like this show, uh, that fans of this show might enjoy, is my NPR interview show, Bullseye. Yes. Uh, so you can find me on uh, Bullseye in your podcast app. With uh, I got a, plenty of hip hop interviews, plenty of soul music interviews, things that people would be interested in. And you can find me on the internet at Jesse Thorne on Twitter and at put this dot on, which is mostly menswear related. I will warn you on Instagram. Thank you, Jesse. This was a pleasure. Yes, it was. This was so much fun. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wang, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, along with Shana Deloria and Christian Duenas. This episode was engineered by Shana and edited by Christian. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Max Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HeatRocksPod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, HeatRocksPod.com. 
And that's where we will post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and other goodies. Again, that's at heatrockspod.com. We want to thank, as always, all of our five-star iTunes reviewers, though we haven't had any new ones in a few weeks, which means if you haven't had a chance yet, pick out a minute, 60 seconds, and leave us a review on iTunes if you so please have a chance. (laughs) It is a key. I mean, we say this every week, but really, it is a huge way in which new listeners can find us and that we can find them. Give up those stars, y'all. Give up all five of those stars and let us know how you feel about Heat Rocks. We also want to thank all of our social media fans out there. We've gotten a lot of love of late uh, on Twitter. So we want to thank Moritz Schwarzer, who keeps showing up for us. Thank you, Moritz. All right. We want to thank ousted president, still in the building, ousted president. We also want to thank um, thieving as long as I'm breathing. Okay. (laughs) Shout out to thieving. Shout out, Thieven. We also want to thank Jason P. Woodbury. Thank you so much for the love. We want to thank Chase Gibson from The Chase. We also want to thank Petty in Pink. Okay. (laughs) Shout out to Petty in Pink, also known as Bev's Kid. We want to thank, as always, uh, Tasty Keys for shouting us out. Brandon Owsley for shouting us out. We also got some love from Pop Rocket. Shout out to Pop Rocket, and thank you for that. And finally, we want to thank Tomoko Yokuji for the love. I also wanted to acknowledge Theo Gonzalez, who is over at the Smithsonian Museum. We got official Yo. Smithsonian shout-outs. Shout-out to Theo for uh, for saying some nice things about our very recent and very awesome Michelle talking about Purple Rain episode. Thank you so much. We do so appreciate the tweezies and the retweezies. Good to see you all. Around. Good to see you too, Morgan. And one last thing. Here is a teaser from next week's episode. I'm so hyped for this. It, it features Phil Yu, a.k.a. the Angry Asian Man, talking about Boys to Men's 1994 album, Two. When when uh, when Wu-Tang Philly dropped that video, I did I did catch glimpses of that video, you mm-hmm. know, not despite not having MTV and... Um, I remember being so like, you know, I, got, I was being impressed with their style because they had a different kind of style. They right? did, they did. You know, and then and as somebody who didn't have a lot of style, I think back then they were really preppy, all gapped out, you know. And I was like, that is my natural state. I was like, <laughs> they are making this cool, you know. And so that was to me was like, I could get with this, you know. And so, you know, visually they made an impression on me, you know. And in, in, in addition to being just like a really hot single, you know. Yeah. If you're still listening, you have found one of our occasional hidden postscript tracks between Morgan and I. Today's is not necessarily about the episode that you just finished listening to, but rather is about just stuff that Morgan and I have been kicking. Though I want to start off because we promised this on the Michelle Indegiochel episode that we learned that our very own producer, Christian Duenas, had never heard the Purple Rain soundtracks. I think we need to bring him in to get his thoughts on the album. Come through, Christian. Let's just preface this by saying our producer, Christian Duanius, is a cool kid. He's got the ill haircut. 
All right. He does. The cool glasses, the, the, clock is, the, the clock look. Is yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's a hipster kid without being obnoxious, and that's why we love him. Shout out to Christian. You told me off, Mike, you haven't had a chance to watch the movie yet, which you do need to do. But you did get to sit with the Purple Rain soundtrack. So as a first timer discovering Purple Rain for the first time, yeah, what did you think of the album? I really um, enjoyed most of it. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I Okay. Yeah, I, I want to preface this by saying, like, it's not, I never, like, avoided Prince. It was just never in my life. Right. Most of the music I grew up with was uh, Spanish dancey music and, like, uh, new wave stuff. <laughs> like, okay. Spanish new wave. When I got older, in high school, I like actively pushed back on things that I felt I was supposed to consume. Ah. Um, and Prince was one of those things. Sure. Um, along with like most rap and like things that were in Spanish, I, I pushed back really, really hard just because it. I was just like this. You were a young iconoclast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's just to say, I have no problem with Prince at all. But. Um, Listening to this uh, in the edit, I, I really, really, really enjoyed uh, "For You," which is not on Purple Rain. And that was so, like, such a beautiful song, and I, I really love that. And. Uh, Another one of Michelle's favorite was I Would Die For You. A lot of it felt like math to me. Like I can hear, I can feel the math behind the music. Mm. And I could, I could hear it with the drums in this song. It was like really apparent to me there. Yeah. Um, for the most part, when I hear the math behind songs, it like kind of annoys me because it doesn't feel as organic. Mm. Um, disclaimer, uh, we just had Serpent With Feet come into the studio that's a tease for you guys. Um, and he brought up the point, like, musicians are at their best when you believe what they're making and what they're saying is mm -hmm. true. Like, a lot of the songs, not a lot, but some of the songs on Purple Rain didn't feel real to me. Mm. Um, and I think I, I, that's, I know I'm like, I know I'm the crazy person. No, no, here. no. <laughs> no. We're asking no. for your, your reaction to it. This is perfectly, I mean, all this is valid because it's your subjective experience with it. I think it's fascinating. And, and because a lot of this is wedded to the film, this is the soundtrack to the film, mm -hmm. some of them songs you'd have to see in the moment mm -hmm. to see that this was him really, you'd have to see him acting them out to see how true they were. Now, um, I Will Die For You is is huge. I mean, thematically, it's huge. It's like, yo, are you really out here going to die for someone? But if you if you <laughs> but if you if you see him perform Darling Nikki and you see the context of it within the film mm -hmm. that he's sort of like, yeah, it's misogynistic and it's tropey and all that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. he but he is sort of rallying against what he thinks is his girl talking to someone else. And he's putting her in a category. So outside of this, as Michelle was saying, he wouldn't perform certain songs. But in the moment and in the moment of the film. It makes sense. It, yeah. ring, it rings true. Yeah. Um, that was also something that I was really struggling with when I was listening to it. Because Michelle did bring that up when, she, when when you guys asked if she doesn't perform songs from her, catal oh, from, like, her catalog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she was like, well, yeah, of course. Like, 
I wrote some of those songs when I was 18 years old. Sure. <laughs> like right. they, I am fundamentally different now. Sure. Um, knowing that he didn't want to perform those songs and listening to it mm. with fresh ears, I was like, oh, this, you are not. That's like, not him anymore. That's not him. Right, right, right. right, um, right. And that was, I, I've never really considered that until Michelle brought that up. And, and now I'm like looking back at a bunch of the songs that I used to listen to. And now I'm like, oh, this is not you anymore. Sure. Like, um, to bring it to something that uh, is a little bit more contemporary, I, I listen to a lot of Odd Future's old music. They did not want to be classified as horrorcore, but a lot of it kind of was horrorcore. Sure. And like now listening to Earl Sweatshirt's newest song is like a completely different Night thing. Yeah. Right. I've been trying to tell a different story. Find balance and I'm tipping off. And tell grandma I'll be with a short. I won't panic when they send a fuck me. I mean, look at Tyler the Creator. Creator yeah. yeah. He started with, with his most recent one. The yeah. Flower Boy. Yeah. 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 Night and day. Yeah. It's it, it feels like I'm consuming things in a different light. Sure. <laughs> it, yeah. Especially things that I've that have existed for how how old is the Purple Rain? Like twenty five years. Probably. I mean, it's eleven years older than you. So it came yeah. out in, in nineteen eighty four. Oh, yeah. But but also too, this was yeah. his sixth album. Mm-hmm. He still had thirty more, thirty plus more albums to go. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so yeah, he cha- he I changed a lot. No, no, yeah, yeah, you you do have some homework, but he had, he changed a lot. You know, this was before yeah. we get to Sign of the Times. This is before we get to any of this stuff that he started doing with with Shaka Khan and the Rainbow Group children. So he had some growing to do. He was in his twenties yeah. when this came out, yeah, and yeah. it was just a it was just a different time. He went through a lot between Purple Rain and uh, some of his later albums. I feel like I've been a little too critical on like how I feel about the music. I want to say that uh, I there are songs off of this that I really really enjoyed, like Darling Nikki. I had told Oliver this earlier. The only reason I knew that song before was because the Foo Fighters had covered it and it got some airplay on Mm -hmm. Mm K-Rock. When I was listening back, I was like, oh, this song is a cover. (laughs) (laughs) The Foo Fighters didn't invent this. No. You're so young, Christian. You are so Um, damn young. (laughs) She said, how'd you like to waste some time? And I could not resist when I saw little Nicky Overall, I loved it. It's fine. It's good. good. I, it, I I will continue on my Prince uh, journey. Very, I appreciate very that. Excellent. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you, Christian. Thank you. So switching gears here, Morgan, what are some of the heat rocks of 2018 for you, either for the year, maybe just the last few weeks? Like, what are you bumping right now? Well, you know, to stay on brand, I've been bumping a lot of soil. Okay. I love Serpent with Feet's new album. I loved the Blisters EP, of course, but this album is, it's gorgeous. Mm. Uh, two standout tracks on there for me are Bless Your Heart and also Fragrant. I love all your ex-boyfriends. I love the way they kiss. I'm happy to know we all carry your essence. Get yourself some tea, get yourself in the right mind frame, and uh, his vocals are gorgeous, the arrangements are gorgeous, and uh, you will understand fully 
um, why Bjork is a huge influence. Mm. Uh, you'll you'll understand the ways in which he's a big influence and the ways she has informed um, his production and his arrangement um, yeah. and his songwriting when you listen to that album, So Soil. Yeah, and to make it clear what, what Morgan's talking about, what Christian was mentioning, is we have an upcoming episode that you should hear in about a month or so featuring Serpent with Feet, who just moved to Los Angeles, and he wanted to talk about Bjork's homogenic, really, really great, insightful, fun combo. So mm-hmm. keep an ear out for that. Uh, you know, in in hindsight, I don't know why I necessarily bothered to sit through all five of the summer albums that Kanye West put out on Good Music. Um, it began, and for those of you who maybe have already forgotten about it because they were, for the most part, kind of forgettable, each album followed, there were five albums. Each one came out every Friday. Each album was seven songs uh, produced in its entirety by Kanye. So you had... Uh, Pusha T started it off with Daytona. Then you had Kanye with Ye. You had him and Kid Cudi with Kid See Ghosts. The fourth one was Nas with Nasir. And then it ended with Tayana Taylor with KTSE. And of course, Kanye has been in the news a fair amount, at least earlier in the summer, not in any particularly positive way. And I think for a lot of folks, it really, really damaged his reputation and just it really dimmed people's desire to want to listen to any of the stuff that he was putting out. Because I think in a previous era, if, if Kanye had not bothered to get on Twitter and start saying insano stuff, it would have been exciting as an experiment. I'm going to give you five albums, including by some big names, obviously like him doing an entire Nas album, if you consider seven songs to be an entire album, but whatever. You know, him doing this this, pro- this collaborative project with Kid Cudi, him doing, of course, Push's album. And in the end, really... The only album I think really will hold up with any kind of test of time was Pusha T's Daytona. Daytona. It was, to the point, it was clean in terms of just seven, again, seven fire tracks, no filler, all killer. I think one of the songs that will just be one of the songs of the year for me, not just of the summer, not just off of that, that good music run, will be the lead track off of Daytona, which is If You Know You Know. This thing of ours, oh, this thing of ours. A fraternity of drug dealers ringing off. I just happen to be alumni. Too legit, they still looking at me with one eye. The company I keep is not corporate enough. Child rebel soldier, you ain't often enough. Outside of that, and Morgan, I'd be curious to see if you bothered to listen to any of the stuff that was on here. There's not necessarily a ton. I mean, there's... There's a few of the Nas songs which are fine. They sound like Nas was given a small thumb drive of beats to choose from and there wasn't a ton of discussion and it was kind of rushed. It's not the worst Nas music you've ever heard because, frankly, there's a lot of bad Nas songs that <laughs> go out there. I don't think it's going to rank amongst his best material. It was functional, which is, I, I suppose, the most polite way that I can talk, talk, say anything about it. I did find myself actually enjoying a few of the tracks off of KTSE. And again, that was the last one that he put out um, by singer Tiana Taylor. There's a lot of chop up the soul, Kanye, on this one, especially in the song Issues. So hold on, hold on, don't let me go. Hold on, hold on. You tell me you love me, well, tell me again. Morgan, did you mess with anything off of this five-album run? I mean, 
I love Pusha T. I think one of our, our earlier bonding moments was over uh, Pusha T's album mm-hmm. and the song Nostalgia. Mm-hmm. So for me, Pusha could pretty much rap on anything and I'd be a fan. Yeah. Um, I don't care if he's been talking about coke rap for 15 years. I'm still with it. He's very consistent. It, very consistent, on brand. And I really didn't check for Kid Cudi, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, I just got caught up in other stuff, so I didn't haven't had a chance to listen to Tayana. Yeah. And I had issues with Yay, so I sort of, yeah. bo- if I'm honest, I have sort of boycotted because I was like, I'm, I can't, I can't hear you right now, right. but I can't hear Pusha T. This is probably very premature to even talk about, but I'm still going to ask: Do you think Kanye, in the way that we think of him now, is he even capable of producing another heat rock? Has he damaged his brand beyond revivability? Um, I don't think so, mm. but I think what it would require is some sort of like. Um, it would have to be one of those after the storm albums, like I lost my mind, and here's the album I did after I pulled it all together. Mm. He would have to address, I think, some of this social media craziness. Um, and I think if he did that, if there was some time and some sort There'd of be some forgiveness, some forgiveness, a concession, yeah. I think he could come back. Um, but I, because I, I don't rule him out, I I, I still like him. Um, you know, as as a rapper, I still like his flow. I just think he needs to take a breath and then come back with his, you know, what, what, whatever album is this, this huge reckoning yeah. of what he's been through for a little while. And I think if he, if he did that and it was dope, mm-hmm. like he can't have that album if it's whack. Right. Yeah. I think he can come back, but it's got to be, it's got to be dope. He's got to have bars. You want to leave our listeners with one other Morgan selected heat rock? Um, I would have to say. Um, Benny sings, and he's got a new album called Beat Tape. That would be um, that would be my pick, and and I think it's uh, called together with songs that didn't make other albums. Um, but his voice is very cool. Um, Benny sings, and one last one. Um, if you've had a chance by now to see the Whitney documentary, um, go mm. out of all her albums, go back and pick up Whitney. I've been uh, listening to that because uh, I needed something after the documentary. Yeah. The last one I'll leave listeners with is one of my, it it will go down as being one of my favorite songs of the year, I'm almost sure, which is Trader Joe by Jungle Pussy. Mm. And it's off her (laughs) album JP3, which I don't, I haven't even listened to the whole album yet because I just like Trader Joe so much. I just have that on heavy, heavy rotation. But it is just a really fun song. I introduced it to my daughter, my 13-year-old, which maybe was not the best dad move to make because it's slightly inappropriate in terms of its language and thematics, but it's just such a fun song. So, yeah, if you haven't heard it yet, Jungle Pussy, Trader Joe. I think I like him more than I like Trader Joe's. I'll swallow kids if we start eating vegetables. New York nigga with the love for Arizona's. I got the juice, he bout to start sipping on. You see how it All right, Morgan, see you next time. Glad to be here. Glad to be here with you. I'm a mango, mommy, pero te quiero, papi, but not more than I want to be making so much money. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.